0: Welcome to This is Type 1, real-life type 1 diabetes with your hosts, Colleen and Jesse. I'm Colleen Mitchell, and I've had type 1 diabetes for 23 years. By day, I'm a process analyst in the power industry, and by night, I'm an author, blogger, and virtual assistant. I'm passionate
1: about type 1 diabetes education and showing others that this disease doesn't define me. I'm Jesse Tuggy, and I've had type 1 for seven years. I love hiking and painting, and I'm looking forward to working as an engineer after college. My diagnosis has inspired me to take control of my future and learn everything I can about it.
0: Each week on the show, we'll talk about real life with type 1 diabetes, bring on cool people with connections to type 1, and above all, encourage you to understand that this disease doesn't have to hold you back. This isn't medical advice. This is life with type 1. Welcome to episode 18 of This is Type 1, real life type 1 diabetes with your hosts, Colleen and Jesse. Today, we're going to talk about how stress affects type 1 diabetics. A quick reminder for our audience. If you have any questions about type 1 diabetes, please leave us a comment in the show notes at inspiredforward.com slash episode 18 or email us at Colleen at inspiredforward.com. We will answer listener questions in future episodes. And Colleen, you're up with the win this week. I am. So as we record this, we're just coming off of Thanksgiving Black Friday. And on Black Friday, my mom took us out to brunch. But the only food I had that day was some cheese and nuts in the morning and then like half of a really huge omelet at the restaurant and my blood sugars were basically perfect the rest of the day. So that was really nice. I didn't even get hungry afterward. All right, you, Jesse are up for a fail.
1: So Thanksgiving just happened for us, which is always crazy and, you know, usually stupid small mistakes happen that time of the year. So i didn't realize how much insulin i usually go through during the holiday season because i usually stay low carb and try to not eat that many carbs but for thanksgiving i didn't really think about that so when thanksgiving hit and we were off to my grandma's house i got a low reservoir warning and i didn't bring anything because i was thinking oh i have enough i had like 50 60 units morning and, like, by the time dinner rolled around, I was at 10 units. And then with corrections and for putting in for carbs and Thanksgiving dinner, by the time I was done, I had run out of insulin. So, little to be known, I did not eat dessert that night. But thank God for my grandma because she got Ready Whip for me ever since I could remember, even before diabetic. So, I had this little cup of just, like, Ready Whip, Cool Whip and I ate with a spoon, and that was my dessert for Thanksgiving.
0: And that's sugar-free.
1: Yes, it is.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Side note, I made my mom double over in laughter by squirting Ready Whip into my mouth straight from the can. She was convinced I wasn't going to do it, and then I did it, and she just died laughing. It was great. That sounds awesome. Okay, so I have the hack this week. Did you know that your Dexcom can send your blood sugar readings to your phone? The Dexcom G6 app lets you receive readings independently from your tandem pump or your Dexcom receiver, and it also lets you share your blood sugars with others. My husband is shared with my blood sugars, so he can always know how I'm doing, unless I don't have internet like on the airplane, or like if Dexcom had a major server outage, which they did the weekend after Thanksgiving and only recovered yesterday, I think. So that that actually happened. Uh, but Dexcom lets you pair your transmitter with one medical device, which could be the T-Slim pump or the Dexcom receiver, And one non-medical device like your phone and this especially was handy for me that one time i left my pump at home when we went to church and i had my phone with me so i could still see my blood sugars on my phone even though my pump was miles away and it made it so that i wasn't like flying blind with my blood sugars diving into this episode there's good stress and there's bad stress and in this episode we're talking about bad stress We're recording this episode in the middle of one of the most stressful times of the year, and it's even more so for me. I mentioned in last week's episode that there was actually a death in my immediate family. So, my dad actually passed away on November 7th. And if you want to know how I'm doing, I'm doing terrible. Thanks for asking. This is one of the most stressful things I've ever gone through in my life, and I want to share with everyone that grief is hard. And it's even harder when I have an extra step to take care of everything related to diabetes during grief, not to mention
1: self care. You're doing great, by the way, with how you seem to be doing. You've always been a very strong person. I just want to say that.
0: Thank you. It's it's really day by day and I have no idea how each day is gonna go. I mean, the day before the day before Thanksgiving was really bad and you know, cried for like two hours straight, but
1: nothing I can do about it. Life's life. Anyways. So the time between Halloween and New Year's accounts for the higher percentage of stress-related deaths from heart attacks and from strokes. I did not know that. Yeah. <laughs> for type 1 diabetics, it's even more scary since stress affects blood Next week, we'll actually be talking about a specific type of stress that I recently experienced while working Black Friday and working retail for the first time that was pretty interesting, but not fun.
0: <laughs> I can imagine. I yeah. have never really liked like, seeing all of the Black Friday stuff on the TV. It's like all of those crowds of people. And there was actually a meme of a shopping cart with, that ends in a point. So he's like, I got my Black Friday cart ready to go and just run into people with it. But it's really interesting that the holiday season accounts for a lot higher heart attacks and strokes. And it's, a lot of it's because of all the stress with interacting with family. So a lot of families have really bad dynamics, and so they have to deal with a lot more stress because of that. And so stress levels are high, and then you get more heart attacks and more strokes.
1: Yeah, sounds about right.
0: Mm -hmm. Moving on.
1: What is stress, Colleen? So what is stress, really?
0: According to the Cleveland Clinic, stress is the body's reaction to changes that require adjustment or response. As they say, the body reacts to these changes with physical, mental, and emotional responses. And psychology today also has a good description. And I quote, we tend to see stress as anything that makes us feel pressured, harried, ill at ease, the stress of work, having too many things to do, seeing the bills pile up, all stressors of course, but stress is even more ubiquitous, as much a part of life as the air we breathe. And in many cities, the air itself is a major stressor that the body must cope with. In scientific terms, a stressor is anything that requires us to burn energy in order to keep internal systems running smoothly. The cold temperature that trips a thermostat to turn on the heat is a paradigm example of stress. The furnace has to burn fuel to stay within its temperature range. Stress can be positive or negative, overt or hidden, physiological or psychological, internal or external, self-imposed or forced upon us.
1: So we experience stress when we're driving, during school, at work, when exercising, dealing with trauma, and grieving. This by no means is an all-inclusive list. And as Colleen has said before, there's good stress and there's bad stress. Bad stress is what causes long-term health problems, both mental and physical. And it's the kind of stress that doctors always advise patients to reduce. Bad stress can come from mental strains, physical trauma, emotional overload, and dealing with these things for a long time. It's like a death by a thousand cuts. Bad stress can build up over time and manifest in stress-related illnesses. For diabetics, it's important to manage stress because of our primary stress hormone, cortisol.
0: Yep, cortisol.
1: Cortisol is the
0: stress response hormone. My endocrinologist has a great spiel on cortisol and how it affects the body, and specifically the blood sugar. But for now, we'll just say that cortisol is a master hormone. And when blood sugars are on the roller coaster of highs and lows, it throws cortisol levels off. That's why we all feel like trash when we go through those low-high cycles. High cortisol increases blood sugar because it tells the liver to turn protein into glucose via gluconeogenesis. This is really helpful in fight-or-flight situations, but not when we're dealing with chronic or short-term non-life-threatening stress. For me, the easiest way to control diabetes-triggered cortisol is to eat low-carb and keep my blood sugars between 83 and 140 mgDL. Keeping it in a tight range is the best way to manage that emotion, even in other highly stressful situations like I am in right now. Well, let's talk about how to reduce stress. Life is, on average, 50% negative and 50% positive. That's just how it works out. It almost seems fake to give you tips for reducing stress because everyone has tips for reducing stress, and yet everyone is still stressed out all the time. The list we're going to talk about is adapted from WebMD's list of tips to reduce stress. And the first one is to keep a positive attitude. Sometimes this is a lot harder than it sounds, but I find it useful to practice adjusting my mindset whenever I recognize that I'm in a negative space. How you think about something is how you experience it. So if you're always negative about your blood sugars or other aspects of your diabetic life, you will experience it as negative. Next one is to accept that there are events you cannot control. And this one is really big. The only thing we can control is how we act and react. If the only thing I can control is me, that releases a lot of resistance to the idea that I should have been able to control any situation that I really can't. And this is important, especially when it comes to dealing with unexplained highs and lows. Live and let live. The next tip is to be assertive instead of aggressive. Assert your feelings, opinions, or beliefs instead of becoming angry, defensive, or passive. For a lot of people, this will be a difficult one to practice because many of us don't understand the difference between assertiveness and aggressiveness. A good rule of thumb is if you're coming from a place of anger and frustration to back off from the acting on those feelings. If you need to take a break, take a break. When I get frustrated with my high blood sugars, I have to consciously tell myself to cool it and give myself permission to go to bed early or go on a walk by myself. Next tip is to learn and practice relaxation techniques. Meditation and deep breathing are good options. Some people swear by yoga or other meditative exercise practices, but to be honest, I don't know how yoga affects the blood sugar but I'm guessing it would lower it, especially if you're in a hot yoga studio.
1: I can add to this. Yoga does affect blood sugars. It lowers them. So if you do feel like you are stressed, I do recommend doing yoga. Not only is it a safe place to let yourself relax and get in touch more with your body, but it also helps your blood sugars feel calmer because you're in a calming environment.
0: And I'm guessing that you should not worry about what other people think of you when you're in the yoga studio because everybody else is just as self-conscious.
1: Oh, heck no, you should not worry about that. Go be yourself. (laughs) (laughs) No, from my experiences with doing yoga in studios and other classes like that, where there's a bunch of group activities and like there's always gonna be people who don't know what you're doing and everyone there is gonna be super supportive of you and what you're going through.
0: Good. So talking about yoga nicely segues into the next tip, which is to exercise regularly. Your body can fight stress better when it's fit. And when you're out of shape, your body is under stress from working overtime to perform. So adding more stress on top of that can throw blood sugars even more off balance. The next tip is to eat healthy, well-balanced meals. On this podcast, we recommend low carb. However, remember that it's important to experiment with different food lifestyles to find what works best for you and your situation. Just don't feed your stress with comfort food. Another tip is to learn to manage your time more effectively. Being late, behind, or constantly disorganized feeds stress and the stress hormone cortisol. You should also set limits appropriately and say no to requests or even personal desires that would create excessive stress in your life. This applies to school, work, friendships, family, and everything in between. Understanding when you're at your limits and respecting yourself enough to say no to the things that will overfill your plate will help reduce stress by a large margin. I have a habit of taking on more than I actually have time for. And over the last few weeks, I've been considering this habit and how I might start to recognize and respect when I need to say no, even to the things I want to do. Sometimes it's just not the right time. We should also make time for hobbies and interests. My problem is that I just have so many hobbies and interests that I often don't have enough time for all of them, which is what I just said. So if you're not like me and you don't have a million irons in the fire, Taking time to explore hobbies and personal interests outside of work, school, and your diabetes care can help slow you down and kind of act as a refresher. The next tip is to get enough rest and sleep. Your body needs time to recover from stressful events. I don't know if anybody on this podcast listening knows this, but sleep deprivation is actually a form of torture, so I'm a big proponent of getting enough sleep. What's equally important as getting enough sleep is having a constant sleep routine where you go to bed and get up at the same time every day. And I think this is especially important for those of us on pumps, like the T-Slim, because if I wake up late, my basal rate has already changed when I'm sleeping to deliver a higher rate, and I'm liable to go low before I wake up because of that.
1: I would like to note that I'm very bad at this. I'm very (laughs) bad at getting enough sleep. Always bad at this. (laughs) Well, to be
0: fair, most teenagers have a problem getting enough sleep.
1: Yes, and I would like to point out that I think one of the major problems is that school is trying to overwork us, to be f- perfectly frank, with giving us six hours of homework to do, the AP classes to take SATs, PSATs, standardized testing, and also the fact that some of us have jobs. And are can I just to say you into all of that? Yes, yes you can. Please okay. say it loudly and go- Ew. Some- yes. <laughs> so gross. It's disgusting, but teenagers as a whole, do we do need to work on this, and we also need to realize that this is a form of self-care. Oh, yeah, yeah.
0: Moving on. The next tip on the list is don't rely on alcohol, drugs, or compulsive behaviors to reduce stress. Drugs and alcohol can stress your body even more. Alcohol and drugs can also affect your blood sugar. I have never been drunk, and I have no desire to become drunk because I don't want to find out what it does to my blood sugar. Especially if that experience becomes dangerous, like if I go too low.
1: And I would like to say if you are going to drink as a teenager, you're an idiot. Thank you. That is a good point. Because it literally stunts your brain development right there. If you become an alcoholic at 16, your brain will become stuck at 16 for the rest of your life. You don't want to be 32 and having a corporate job and acting like a 16-year-old.
0: You wouldn't get a corporate job if you were acting like a 16-year-old. My point. (laughs) (laughs) All right, we're working down the list. The next one is to seek out social support. Spend enough time with those you love. Loneliness is a big problem right now, and I know a lot of type 1 diabetics feel like they don't have any fellow diabetics to talk to or even a sympathetic friend or family member to talk to about what they're going through with their diabetes. Jesse and I have really great support systems, but many of you don't. If you ever need someone to talk to about your diabetes, even if it's just a vent, please reach out to us. And then last on the list, seek treatment from a psychologist or other mental health professional trained in stress management or biofeedback techniques to learn more healthy ways of dealing with stress in your life. If you're at the point where you need professional help, please, please seek it out. I wrote a blog post a couple months ago on how to find a good therapist, and we'll link to that in the show notes. I have personally found therapy to be extremely helpful for both my anxiety and my current experience with grief.
1: Jesse, you have any tips for us? I do. I would say if you notice that you're experiencing self-harming behaviors, meaning like you're not the person you want to be anymore, you're cussing a lot, you feel exhausted all the time, that's your body's way of showing you that you need to make a change, either with your friend groups or in your stress levels too. Because the type of friends you have and the type of people you hang out with also can be a huge contributor to stress as well as stress management.
0: So now we're going to talk about dealing with stress highs, as in high blood sugars. So I used to treat stress highs like regular highs, especially while in college and on my first job, because I didn't know they were caused by stress or kept high by stress. So as a result, I used to use a lot more insulin than I otherwise should have. Now, stress highs for me act similar to adrenaline highs in that it doesn't take the same amount of insulin to bring them down as it would for a carb high. And if you think about it, it kind of makes sense. I'm correcting for a hormonal response, not for a carb response. So because there isn't that extra glucose for the insulin to shuttle into the cells, the high comes down faster and sometimes a lot more unexpectedly. So it's important to realize when that's going to happen. And when you're dealing with stress highs, it's important to remember the type 1 diabetic bad habit of bolusing too much for your highs, whether from rage bolusing, which I do, or just giving too much insulin make sure you're not giving too much insulin to correct a hormonal high that will react much faster to the insulin than it would have if you've just eaten like a whole box of chocolate.
1: And for me, I actually don't get stress highs. I get stress lows. So even when I'm taking tests or working or dealing with customers or friends or drama at school, my blood sugar will instinctively go low. I have no idea why this is. It just kind of does it. So it causes a lot of, you know, ups and downs and weird reactions to some things that friends say, and it's a never-ending cycle of fruity snacks.
0: Hmm. Fruity snacks, yeah, those are good. That might actually change when you get older. So for the longest time, I used to think that adrenaline made me go low, and I'm pretty sure that it did, especially when I was younger. But now that I've gotten older, adrenaline makes me go high. So it might change as you get older.
1: Yeah, adrenaline does make me go high. That's one of the things that I have noticed is like like the first time I went cliff jumping, it made me my blood sugar go up to like 300 afterwards. So, I know adrenaline is a trigger for high blood sugars for me, but like certain types of stress, like school stress and work stress is a very large trigger for low blood sugars.
0: That's interesting. When I was um taking my SAT, Going into high, uh, college, uh, I think my blood sugar was like 300 the whole time. That was fun. And most of my stress responses now are for high. So, especially when I'm going to like about to give a speech, my blood sugar will just ride that high line. Or flying stress is another one we talked about in episode 11 flying with type 1 diabetes. My blood sugar will always be high when I'm on the airplane. And part of that is stress, and part of it is Bernoulli's principle. So, next, we want to talk about what's worked for us for stress reduction. And for me, especially right now with this really unprecedented level of stress that I'm going through, it was really important to have some strategies like right off the bat that I could fall right back onto. And fortunately, I learned a lot of them earlier in the year. So it it was more of a you sink to the level of your training than you rise to your expectations. So the first one for me is remembering that God's in control. And this one is a really big one for me. Surrendering all that stress and burden that I can't bear to God has actually eased a lot of stress-related tension in my body. I can't pray to have my dad back and expect God to deliver, but I can pray in thanks and you know just praise that my dad came to faith 17 years ago. So trust in God is a really big stress relief for me in all areas of my life. The second one is that my thoughts about circumstances drive my feelings, which cause my actions and my results. And this is Brooke Castillo's model. She's the master life coach instructor for the life coach school. And realizing that my thoughts drive my feelings is a game changer with dealing with stress because it usually means that I don't have anyone but myself to blame for the feelings of stress. I've been binge listening to Brooke's podcast for about a year, and I'm trying to finish binging it before the rest of the year because I want to join her self-coaching scholars program in January. So this concept is a lot easier for me to use as a regular tool than maybe most people who are just now learning about it or heard about it in the past, but haven't had the time to practice it. The third thing on my list of things that has helped is deep breathing and specifically a technique called four, seven, eight breathing. And we'll link to a blog post that I wrote about this type of breathing. But the basic idea is that it stimulates the vagus nerve, which lowers the heart rate and reduces stress levels. I learned this one from my endocrinologist. She's amazing. This type of breathing is what got me through anxiety attacks when I was going through a job loss like three years ago. My fourth tip for myself is writing. So I am a writer at heart. And writing, especially as a journalistic practice, both by longhand and on the computer, is really therapeutic for me, and it greatly reduces stress levels because then I'm not keeping all of my thoughts in my head. They're on paper or on the page, and that makes them less vague and mysterious and easier to identify thought patterns that could be driving my feelings. Right now, I'm trying out a platform called 750Words. It's just 750Words.com, and that encourages you to write at least 750 words a day about anything you want or need to write about, and it's completely private. And then my last thing that's helped is sticking with my low carb lifestyle. It's, it's so key for me. By design, it's making it way easier to manage my blood sugars because I'm not changing my eating habits in the name of comfort food. Like bacon is my comfort food. <laughs> if I stay low carb, then my blood sugars are normal and I'm not experiencing that extra stress on top of everything else.
1: Well, I would first like to say that I have struggled with stress and anxiety my entire life. I haven't exactly gotten through everything, but here are some tips that I have figured out that I am currently you know, using to help deal with schoolwork and diabetic management. So one of the first things I do when I feel stressed or overwhelmed or anxious is I always make a list of the things that I need to do, like homework, what I need to do at work, and what I need to do to manage my diabetes. One of those things is always including some time to relax, whether it's doing my nails, and forcing myself to sit down and not move and just, you know, enjoy a Netflix show for an hour or two, or sitting down and painting even for 10 minutes can be really helpful for me. I do have a cute little journal that I got at Friend Meyers that I write everything in, like what's on my work schedule, what class period do I have my projects doing, why I don't feel right, and what ends up happening is I write in it every night, like five sentences, about how I feel, why I feel it, and my events that happened that day. It's a way for me to relieve some tension and stress and get my feelings out of my system. So another thing I do is I talk to either my parents or my brother literally every day because they're such a huge support for me. I literally talk to at least one person in my family every day, whether it's my brother who's half asleep and I'm driving into school, My mom when she's getting ready to go to bed and I can just rant to her about anything or my dad when I get to work a few minutes early before I start my shift. They always know what to say to make me feel a little bit more calm and a little bit more happier in my life. And they always let me talk to them when I need to. Except for Charlie. He's a little, he likes to butt his head in a little bit sometimes. And for those of you who don't know, Charlie's my brother. One of the last things I do is stay healthy. I can go running after school. I lift weights before school every single day because I decided to sign up for the random class that I needed a credit for. But in actuality, it really helps get a lot of stress and tension out of my body. And knowing that I'm starting out my day by doing something for myself and doing something healthy for myself really helps relieve a lot of stress knowing that I'm doing something for me, at least for 45 minutes out of the day. And these are just a couple of things that I've noticed that I constantly do that make me feel less stressed.
0: I agree with a lot of the tips that you do. Some of those help me as well, like listing out literally everything, just doing a brain dump of stuff I need to do. It just helps so much to get it all out of my head.
1: Yeah, I might actually need a new like notebook soon. Mine's kind of falling apart. My old one fell apart, like it oh. ripped open in my hands at oh. school.
0: I should introduce you to Erin Condren. Oh. <laughs> Like her entire website is all planning and organization.
1: I love that. So, yeah, our
0: listeners, ErinCondren.com, E R I N C O N D R E N. Erin Condren. I have her uh, life planner and I have literally uh, been spending a lot of money on her website because we have so much good stuff. I did their winter surprise box and I got a really cute, like, petite journal folio. Aww. And I'm showing it to Jesse right now, but it's like, Ooh, I you, get love to put, that. <gasps> you get to put different things into this folio and it holds like four notebooks and then you can take them out or just use them as needed. All right. Now that we have uh, successfully derailed talking about organizational supplies, uh, let's talk yes. about some diabetes in the news. So this actually came out yesterday for us as recording. So it came out on December 2nd. An unexpected viral behavior linked to type 1 diabetes in high risk children. So a new study shows an association between prolonged enterovirus infection and development of autoimmunity in the beta cells that precedes type 1 diabetes. So I'm going to read the most important excerpt from the article. Quote, the investigators were surprised to find that a prolonged infection of more than 30 days rather than a short infection was associated with autoimmunity. This is important because enteroviruses are a very common type of virus, sometimes causing fever, sore throat, rash, or nausea. A lot of children get them, but not everybody that gets the virus will get type 1 diabetes. Only a small subset of children who get enterovirus will go on to develop beta cell autoimmunity. Those whose infection lasts a month or longer will be at a higher risk. A prolonged enterovirus infection might be an indicator that autoimmunity could develop. End quote. If you have diabetes and your kid has had an extended viral infection, check out Type 1 Diabetes Trial Net. They offer free screening to relatives of people with type 1 diabetes, and you might find out that your kid could develop the antibodies for type 1 based off of the this virus.
1: And then for our audience question this week, we would like to know, how have you guys noticed stress affects your diabetes? Meaning like, has your blood sugar gone high after you feel stressed? Has it gone low? Has it stayed where it is? Do you feel like you want to vomit when you're 62? It's all up to you. After listening to this episode, is it easier to recognize when stressful situations might impact your control? Please let us know in the comments. That is it for this episode of This Is Type 1. You can find the show notes at
0: inspiredforward.com slash episode 18. That's the number 18. And if you have an idea for an upcoming episode, please leave us a comment or send an email. You can get straight to our podcast page by going to thisistype1.com. Our music, which is amazing, is by Joseph McDade, and our audio wizard, who is fantastic, is my husband, Tim. I'm on all social media as at inspiredforward and
1: our email is Colleen at inspiredforward.com. And I'm on Instagram as at JJ underscore crystal K A T. Please feel free to send me questions or comments you have about type one diabetes or about the show. Thank you so much for listening. If you like this
0: episode, please share it with your friends, family, and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts since that really helps other people find us.
1: And be sure to tune in next week when we talk about working retail as a type one diabetic.
0: Remember, you control your diabetes. It doesn't control you. Hey, if you like what you're listening to on this podcast, you have to join us in the Half Dead Pancreas Club. It's my private community where you'll connect face-to-face with other people with type 1 diabetes, get personalized emotional support, and learn how to handle anything T1D throws at you. Join us over at inspiredforward.com slash community. I can't wait to see you there.